Hello, one and all, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It's April the 6th of 2022. It's spring, or I don't know, wherever like seasons exist, which is not where I live. It's spring. So. We do not have any kind of, like, it's, it's still, it's getting warmer, but it's still kind of crappy. Define warmer. So right now it is 56, and this has been on the higher end of what we've been getting recently. I think that might be like the coldest it got all year last year. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, uh, on Tuesday of next week, we're supposed to get into the 70s. So that's that's oh wow, that's that's spring. That's winter weather. Wow, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Walk out like a tank top and (laughs) roller skates and just be like woohoo. <laughs> the season no longer bound us. <laughs> Do you want a winter coat? <laughs> I hate this. <laughs> oh my god, this was a really crazy last week we had, wasn't it? But I, like, there's so much that we could talk about that isn't manga. But I've got so much manga to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about Nick? We you wrap it all up in like a, a quick bulletin point uh, segment. Like you're reading off the news. Uh, had a birthday. Uh, went out to cool restaurants. Uh, did an escape room with my family. We won it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. There you go. Also, my favorite wrestler went back to the company that he went away from because he was wasted there. And now it seems like he's just going to be way, way more boring than when he was when he left. So... Mm. But you have your favorite. Well, I was gonna say your favorite back. You don't. I don't know where you consider your allegiance in the company roar line. So I don't. I mean, like, I don't have an allegiance. I have a preference. That's it. So, and I think that that's something that people don't like. We could spend an entire bonus podcast talking about purely the issues that fans of one wrestling company have in terms of defining what they don't like about the other company. And so, but audience, would you like to hear that bonus podcast? Let us know where we discuss the greater wider uh, situation of wrestling right now. Leave your comments on YouTube or tweet. I was actually considering being like, Hey Austin, do you want to just do an offshoot magic to gather one off podcast where you can talk about magic? This is just be a thing, just random uh, one-off podcast about a tangential topic that normally comes up on WMR. And it'll be like uh, wrestling as explained by Magic the Gathering as explained by manga. That'll <laughs> be the fucking worst thing in the world. <laughs> Awful. <laughs> See, it's kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like Lurgoif, which is kind of like. <laughs> yeah, which is normally just kind of considered a creature type. Tarmogoy is really the only popular one, but... They all have a gimmick usually involving the kinds of cards that are in your graveyard. That I... is different, of course, than other archetypes that care about the graveyard. My blue and black deck that I ran back in the day. I actually still have it. Uh, the main win condition was getting a Lurkoif out. Because I had... It was like... I had two copies of it, and it was like the rarest card that I had two copies of. And I was like, well, I better do something with this. So... Load that graveyard. <laughs> Shove them it. all in. Yeah. Anyway, we've got a lot of manga to talk about. We do. I guess we should do that. Uh, but we don't have My Hero Academia to talk about this week. It is off this week. 
Uh, so we will have to find out what kind of superpower shenanigans happen next week. In the meantime, hey, look at these people in Undead Unlock talking to each other. I thought it was like a setup to a Nickelback joke, like, hey, look at these. And I was like, what rhymes with photograph that's involved at the start of this? Phonograph. Isn't that just like, what? what is a phonograph? I believe that a phonograph is like uh, you, it, it has like a rod that records sound on it and you have to wind it to play. Huh. I guess un cool could have one of those (laughs) Um, (laughs) shit old inventions yeah these garbage these uh unyoung boom take that uh nick let's talk about under the luck number 105 land ho which this is a chapter that went in a very different direction than it, I was it, expecting, it, it, and that's kind of uh, the joy of Undead Unlock. Set up? What's that? <laughs> so we open the chapter where Seal is talking to Ruin, and Seal's like, ah, so you're the one who is entrusted uh, with the power of regulation, the one who will be king of negators. And he's going to be a mighty king, yeah. so you amaze beware. All I can think of is the fucking video game. How that was the, the fucking level that would, you just kept dying on. Okay. Yeah, that was messed up. You're like, it's man, I hate fun. this. I hate this song now. Like, I just it just reminded it's, me of how blindingly grand, difficult the shit was. Pro, pro, uh, his grand parade to show how foul Grady is. Oh, he just keeps dying. Wow, like, man, that state. hippo's tail. Yeah, I guess you drowned. <laughs> Ain't gonna be waiting long to be king. You're dead as shit. Like, I hate this. <laughs> It would be like if there was like an Aladdin game where like the whole new world uh, like scene played and it was just fucking like it was just you getting hit by missiles over and over again. You're like, no, this is supposed to be. I believe that happens. <laughs> okay. It's like. A- I believe in the Aladdin Game Gear and, and that era game. Yes, you do have to play through a whole new world. And yes, you can't lose on it. <laughs> it would be like if you were playing the Beauty and the Beast game and you're doing the ballroom dance and rocks oh. keep falling on you. You're oh, like, let, me, let me see if this happens. Hang on. <laughs> it would be like if you were playing the Princess and the Frog game and during Friends. Ah, oh, that doesn't exist. Uh, I was gonna say that's that's the trick question. There is no Princess and the Frog game. Oh my God, there is a Beauty and the Beast Super Nintendo game. They look it up. See if there's a ballroom scene. <laughs> you had to dodge fucking rocks or some bullshit. Ballroom dance. It's just like the other things are throwing trash on you and you had to dodge it or something like that. You're like, why are you? (laughs) Anyways, back to the chapter at hand. Uh, Ruin is like, hey, why do you have our boy Andy? And Seal's like, oh, because I already fucking beat him. And uh, Seal's just, or Ruin's just like, "Ah, you you seem pretty pretty confident about it. But if he was that good, then we wouldn't have been necessary. So I think you're underestimating him. Uh Seal takes offense to that and is like, no, none of you Cretans are capable of creating rules. All you do is negate them. Where do you get off? And uh, Ruin interrupts being like, well, what now? Ragnarok is a month away. Now that we have been chosen, we have roles to play. Human players that have ruined the playing field and inhuman NPCs who aren't serving their function. One side must be judged and the other enhanced. Before God makes their arrival, we must carry out those tasks, restore balance, and usher in God. And as for me, I've made up my mind. I am going to kill every member of the Union. That way, none of them will exist in the next and final loop. 
which is an interesting bit of text that seems to indicate, hey, remember when we were like, I guess Undead and Lux ending pretty soon because we're jumping through a bunch of stuff. Mm. Maybe this is a tease that we're not we're not anywhere near the end yet or not. I don't know. It's definitely one of those things where because of the nature of this series, I don't trust any hints towards a conclusion. Yeah. Or a long continuation either way. It's like, I, I, d- 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 look, I'll just take it as it comes because I cannot predict this <laughs> weird series. It's a good motto. Uh, Seal sneezes again because we, we see inside as uh, Lucy has extended her soul and is touching the core. And she basically is just like, yep, that's how I do it. And Andy is like, nice work with that technique of yours. We might be able to bust out of here. And she's like, cool, we could save my mom. And he's like, sure, how'd you learn to do that? And she's like, oh, from this. And she pulls out a book of Peter Pan that she keeps with you, or keeps with her at all times. And she's like, yeah, like you said, I'm unhealthy, right? So I've spent the last six years stuck inside, constantly wishing I could play with everybody else. And to make up for the loneliness, my mom would read me books all day. And this book was the one I loved the most. Every day, I wish that I could fly around outside, just like in that story, even if it was in the dreams. But then one night, I did it. And they're like, okay. Andy just lays it down. Basically, you being unhealthy cultivated your imagination. And then the ghost rule got added. And you evolved it into astral body control. And he's like, that's fucking incredible. Like, it took me decades just to get things working with my soul. And here you are doing, like, full-on disembodiment techniques. You've got to show me how to do it. And she's like... Oh, I mean, it's not that easy. You just got to think of a whole bunch of wonderful things. It's Peter Pan, basically. And Andy is like, I mean, that's nice and all, but I need, like, actual steps. I need to know how to actually do it. And she's like, oh, you got to have something, right? Like, dreams, aspirations, something. Andy stops, and he's like, hmm. And he thinks back all of his times in the past and having friends and those friends having kids and then those friends getting older and those kids dying and how he as undead outlives everyone around him and he says i do actually have one don't laugh and andy astral projects out of his body as an old man and she says why are you so much older and he says it's a petty dream if i do say so myself and is a very very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, because this is a uh, Doctor Peter Pan moment now. Lucy says, "You look so cool, like Captain Hook." I'm like, "Don't how how you got to Captain Hook? <laughs> He's the bad guy." But that is true. It's always cool to see the bad guys. Uh, hey, some people think that Captain Hook is very cool. So I don't I don't disagree. Captain Hook very cool. I don't think he generally wore like sweet old suits and shit like that but you maybe know, not what? fan fiction you've read <laughs> that is true i should be reading more um <laughs> seal has like an astral projection form of them come out of the ball and they're like cool it's the defense reactions going on and uh, you know andy's like watch out lucy she's like don't worry it's okay because in this form i have nothing to fear and we see that she has become peter pan she has like the little tunic and like the leaves and everything and she says give it your all captain hook and he now has a hook for a hand. So I guess her power of imagination is enough that she can also alter other people's realities, which is fucking crazy. And then we get what is the best moment 
in all of this because UMA Bomb says, hey, you two, do you know a way out? Bust us out. And Lucy says, sure thing, but you have to help us in return. I've sprinkled magic dust on you. The rest is your mind. Think only happy thoughts. And he's like, what, what would you like to do? He's like, well, that's an easy one. Blow up everything. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Maguchan is hell character. <laughs> I know what I want to do. <laughs> I'll blow up the world. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Maybe this was a bad idea. And it starts to free their souls. (laughs) Yay, arson! (laughs) Like, I want to go with the joke, but I feel like UMA Bomb is kind of the pinnacle of it. Like, I will blow up everything! (laughs) And uh, we see that Andy and Lucy and some of the UMAs are now erupting out of uh, Seal because they're escaping in their astral projected forms. And Ruin just says, now we're talking as Andy and Lucy shout, Land Ho. Yeah, this is weird. Uh... (laughs) It's so weird. It's so weird, and yet absolutely wonderful. Like, I don't know why. Again, I really like how they execute Andy's... Like, he doesn't have to explain it quite literally. That flashback, though, is enough that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, he wants to get old. You know, it's a very sweet little thing. And I I do like how they add on this layer to unhealthy to give her, like, a cool benefit to everything, essentially. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, like, if, if Lucy will potentially stick around, how this ability, if, you know, is it going to be, like, a thing that happens more consistently throughout the series? Um, and also just, like, I mean, I like the way that the ability is just laid out. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, your, your soul is not defined by physical restraints, so you can do all sorts of stuff with it. What's a good example of that? Fear pan. Just believe, you mm-hmm. know. And it's an oddly, like western example because it's just kind of a thing you kind of take for granted in a lot of shonen adventure stuff just like just you know believing yourself really hard you could just do it but because this is undone luck where things are just generally weirder uh in terms of how they mechanically work it sort of feels like the peter pan approach fits better yeah um and uh i don't know about Again, like you, I don't know about Andy being compared to Captain Hook. That is like a moment where like, I mean, if I was in a story and I created my, I, I, I fancied myself and I'll, you know, I likened myself to Peter Pan. And then there's just, I guess, another, like an adult guy. I'd be like, I mean, I guess, I guess you're Peter, I guess you're Captain Hook. Like, Where the other, the other choices are one of the other pirates or one of the racist Indian stereotypes. <laughs> I, I do also like, I, I think it was, I can't remember who it was, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Someone in our Discord pointed out that, like, is UMA Bomb going to be the crocodile, like the ticking crocodile, basically? <laughs> I was like, I fucking hope so. I want, now I want that UMA to have its happiest life. Like, it just latches onto Ruin and is like, I'm going to explode now. And it just lives its greatest life and fucking blows Yay! <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on then to Kaiju number eight, chapter 59, which we begin in a flashback to when Kikoru's mother, Captain Shinomiya, was leading an attack against Kaiju number six, the king of Kaiju. And we get this cool shot of uh, them kind of like standing in 
in the midst of a snowfall while we see this huge kaiju with a bunch of different tails flanked by other different kaiju while explosions are going off around it. It looks cool. Then uh, we meet Captain Shunsui. Uh, it's it's a he's an older captain uh, named Jugo Ogata. He likes drinking sake, and he's got a glasses-wearing assistant. He's shooting sweet. But, uh, he's also uh, picks his nose hairs uh, just in public, so that's gross. Uh-huh. But yeah. Um, and uh, he has also been hearing about Reno. He was also at the meeting where they said that Reno Jukawa is a candidate for number six, uh, and he is currently overseeing Ichikawa as you know the squad was split up to go and get more training. Uh, and he said he basically imparts like this is, you know, a big deal because Kaiju number six caused this huge cataclysm uh, and the, you know, with Shinomiya leading the charge, they intercepted it. It was neutralized at the cost of many lives, including Shinomiya's. Uh, and along with the rare snowstorm blowing into Odawara, that monster is ingrained in me- in people's memories to this day as a symbol of despair. There's a lot of emphasis placed on the snow, so I wonder if that is actually intrinsic in some way to number six's powers, but we'll see. Uh, and he's like, that's, you know, just a really huge way to be pushing off on some teenager. So, uh, but Ichikawa is ready for the test. So he's got these like gauntlets on with a bunch of wires hooked up to them and they're ready for the compatibility test. We get a flashback then of a conversation between Reno and Ogata where Ogata essentially said, um, this could kill you really easily. Half of the numbers weapons users die before they're discharged. And the weapon said, this is the weapon that said to be the most powerful and dangerous among all of them. So I actually think you should not take this offer. And of course, Reno's like, well, I've got to do it because I've got to back up Kafka. Uh, he's got that big, you know, who saves the heroes kind of thing going on in his head. Cause he's like, there's gotta be someone who's going to be, you know, what about his dreams? Who's going to save him in this situation? So he asked for the operation to succeed and immediately uh, he feels it overwhelming him, even though this is only hooked up to his arms and it's not the full extent of what they're going to do to hook him up. Uh, and so he gets all determined. He's like, no, I won't let this overcome me. But Ogata immediately calls to Toko, his assistant, and says, yeah, send for a stretcher. And we just see this massive head, the image of this of Kaiju number six's massive face looming up before Reno. And uh, it overwhelms him and knocks him out before he even realizes what's going on. Absolutely uh, fucking brilliant panel, by the way. It's, like, it's, it's awesome. An amazing spread. Looks really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, but the thing that he thinks as he collapses is, oh, wow, this is what Kafka's... I left the oven on last night. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Did I blow out that candle before I left? Also, oh, my God, a huge kaiju. <laughs> it blew out the candle. <laughs> when Reno wakes up, Iharu is uh, standing at his bedside. Uh, and he's like, thank goodness. Uh, Ogata's also there, but he's, you know, not standing over him. He's just like, you know, chilling in a chair nearby. And he's like, hey, you get it now? You get how terrifying that these numbers weapons are? Yeah, the strain that you experienced, you were only wearing parts of the weapon. Can you imagine what happened if you'd worn the entire thing? You should turn this down. 
And even Iharu starts to say, like, yeah, I think that that's a good idea. It's not worth it. But Reno is completely undeterred. He doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't even get emotional. He just says, I'm going to do this. So Ogata looks back back to him and he thinks to himself, this kid is in over his head. If he takes number six to the front lines, he is going to die and quickly. But he doesn't seem like he's going to listen to me. So he says, all right, I'll give you one month. And after that, I'm going to send you out to neutralize Kaiju. I'm going to find out for certain whether you're cut out to wear number six on the battlefield. So kind of a similar approach that we've seen with, you know, with how Kafka has been treated over in the first division. like, all right, you've got a certain period of time and that's just it. Uh-huh. Uh, no ifs, ands or buts. But with a very different attitude behind it, where Ogata actually does worry about this kid's safety ahead of anything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool uh, seeing Reno get like this focus. Obviously, we saw it last week. Eric Gray in our chat also pointed out what you were mentioning before the snow. He did seem to specialize with freezing bullets before. So I do mm-hmm. like this idea of kind of giving him a like distinct feel with the way he fights and everything. And I do... Like, it's weird because normally this is a character where I'd feel like his his motivations are very surface level and just, like, not that compelling. But maybe it's just from the fact that we've seen this character from basically the beginning and how he is just trying to be as good as Kafka because he feels like Kafka needs some support. I really do like seeing Reno, and I, I love how they, they execute the moment of him putting on these braces like, no one's going to beat me. And then, boom, he's fucking out like a goddamn light just to show how crazy powerful this weapon is and why no one can actually just equip it and then mm-hmm. him getting up afterwards and being like no fuck it let's do it again like I, I i gotta i'm going to master this like it 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 does a good way of making the actual challenge feel gigantic and then still giving you a reason like this character in a way that just feels well executed i suppose yeah yeah no i'm really into it uh it was nice to see you know more focus on some of the side casts again and uh, I like we said earlier, really cool way to demonstrate the power that Reno's trying to take on by just having, you know, it's like, hey, here's the face. Bah, that's it. Yeah. Right. Spy Let's family. Talk about a, a, a no uh, important issue episode of Spy Family. Spy Family Mission 62 Part 1. So it's another one of those weird numbering cases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I... I don't know, Nick. I don't think there's going to be another part to this one. It feels like everything uh, wrapped up pretty nicely. Uh, this is a flashback to, uh, well, let's call him Twilight's childhood because uh, they kind of firmly established that, yeah, this is Twilight before he ever got the code name Lloyd. And uh, he also, his name is like classified even in the narration we're given. And his code name is Advisor. And one day he would grow up to have another code name, Twilight. So I guess we'll just call him Twilight for this bit. Sure. So we see him essentially playing war games with not not that war games. You know, <laughs> would you like to play a game? <laughs> or that war games, or that war games, or that war games. He's playing he's playing soldier with some other kids. And uh, we see that, you know, he still he already has a lot of the mannerisms of, you know, when he 
will grow up to be a super spy like you know he gets behind someone and puts points a gun to his head while like smoke is is cloaking his face and he's staring really intently and stuff uh so um he leads his side to victory in this little game and then you know they're all kind of hanging out together and stuff and then when and they're all just like saying like we're such good friends and stuff we're the four musketeers yay and they they leave their their playing uh, spot together, and then they go their separate ways. And Twilight heads home, uh, and he sees that his father is home, and so he hides his toy gun behind his back. But his father catches it, and he says, "Were you out playing soldier boy with your friends? You need to be more serious about your studies and your future." And Twilight says, "Well, I mean, but we could, you know, we could join the army together and stuff." And he's like, "No, you think they put a coward like you in the battlefield? You only get in the way." And when Twilight objects to this, uh, his father slaps him across the face. Uh, Yay! Not fun. Uh, and so Twilight says, the reason, the thing that Twilight says that gets him smacked like this is, well, I can fight and I'll kill all those awful monsters from the east. And his father says, what, you know, these Austanian monsters, you've witnessed their evil deeds. You've sat and talked with them. That's how you know what sort of people there are. There isn't going to be a war. You should hope for peace, not conflict. And Twilight gets so upset from, you know, being talked down to and, you know, physically abused that he snaps his toy gun in his hands and he runs into his room to hide. And his mother and father start to argue while he hides in his bed. Uh, and he thinks to himself, you're going to talk about peace when all you'll ever do is fight with mom. So, uh, yeah, it's one of those really bad things where it's like the worst person, you know, makes a really good point because <laughs> like, his dad is right completely. It's just that he's also a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to another day. And uh, the boys are hanging out and uh, they then kind of get called over by some boys to help by some some older men to help out with some preparations for the town fair. Uh, and they while they're, while they're doing this, they're kind of talking with the men and uh, basically Twilight says, hey, so is there really going to be a war? And one of them. Guy says, oh, you know, as long as you kids get to keep playing make-believe, we'll all be fine. But an old crotchety old man who is waving his cane for emphasis to let you know just how old and crotchety he is. He's like, you're blind! The enemy just wants us to think we're at peace while they rearm! So. Yeah. Like, old man, crazy old man Johnson, you tell nothing but lies. My name's not Johnson, it's Dick! Yeah, that's that's why we there was one of me that only told the truth but he got lost <laughs> you're supposed to talk to us to open up a treasure chest in the sewers what are you talking about <laughs> it's not exact I, I can only lie but I'm trying to get as close as I can it's a medical condition at this point <laughs> wait so if you can only lie then how are you telling us this shut up <laughs> Don't question me! <laughs> do question me! That's what I meant to say! Please, God, don't smoke with me! 
No, wait, I meant. God. Just disappears into a ring of flowers. You're like, huh? Anyway, about that war. Uh, so, but while Twilight is talking with uh, his friends, they're teasing him and saying like, "Oh, you know, the army had never let a kid like you join because you don't even have a proper soldier uniform." And Twilight says, "They will too." And they're like, "Oh yeah, what are you gonna do? Fight him with a hammer? You already busted your rubber band gun." So when Twilight goes home, he approaches his father just before his father's going to leave on a business trip. And he says, oh, I need a reference book for school. So can you give me some pocket money? And his father's like, oh, oh, you're taking your study seriously. Yes, of course. And Twilight just smiles and accepts the money. And he thinks to himself after he gets it, I, I just I just told a lie. And he very nearly confesses right at that moment, but he stops himself and he just we just get narration that says that night dinner tasted like ash in my mouth, which I think is a great moment of like, yeah, this guy who will go on to be false about literally everything because he'll invent entire identities and stuff in the first moment that he lies. He's just this is awful. I I hate this. Yeah. So as a result of getting the pocket money, of course, Twilight uses it to buy some new toys so that he can get, oh, the special soldier set and stuff. He's got his own uniform and gun now. And so he goes to play with his friends uh, and they're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it looks so good. Awesome. Now we can keep on playing and we've got proper you know, equipment for everyone. But Twilight looks down at the toy gun and he just says, actually, I don't think I want to play today. So he puts the gun down against the wall and he leaves. He's like, I'm just going to go help out and prepare for the fair some more. But he's still wearing his his little helmet uh, while he goes and uh, he goes and talks to the lady who's running the croquette stand. And she says, do you think I would make a good soldier to her? (laughs) You know, the way that little kids say stupid questions like that. Um, And the woman just says, what would it matter? War is stupid and useless. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> and she says, look, I think you look a whole lot cuter with a croquette in your hand than a gun. And Twilight says, but Astanians are like monsters with horns who eat other people. And the woman says, well, I've got cousins who live in the East. And if they had horns, they'd run the family. Do you see horns on my head? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> It's a very Anya moment, actually. <laughs> uh, so, you know, she teases him a bit. Um, but Twilight is just left further confused by the whole situation. He's like, eh, this is just so different from how I thought it'd be. And he's as he's pondering the helmet that he bought. So he asks the woman if he could help out of her at her shop, if he could earn 10 Dalk, the amount that he got from his dad to buy the soldier uh, toys. He says, I want to pay my dad back. Uh, and he says to himself, I don't really know why, but I feel like I should apologize to my dad tomorrow. And I can ask the guys if we can play a different game. <laughs> uh, a bomb hits the town and it hits the abandoned warehouse that Twilight and his friends used to play. So presumably they're all dead. End of chapter. 
Yeah. Uh, this is an absolutely crazy chapter. Um, I I'll admit I 100% got sucked up into it. I was following along with the story. And then that page turn of just like, holy shit, they've been hit by a bomb is absolutely devastating. Um, it would be, I guess, a little remiss to not mention the fact that this is taking, or this chapter has come out during a time in which the real world, and particularly events that have happened within the past, like, week or so, yes. uh, give a context to this chapter that's very different. Um, so I don't want to let that cloud too many of the thoughts or anything like that, but I, I, I just want to note, like, the, the actual, like, impact of this chapter was enormous. Uh, I do love how this is characterizing Lloyd as, like, a kid who was just like, I don't want to, like, wanted to fight just because it was kind of what kids did. Mm -hmm. He's told differently. He grows up in a, a, an abusive, shitty household with a bad dad. Uh, feels the weight of lying for the first time and how much he hates it. And as you said, like, knowing that's what Lloyd becomes, just, like, it, it feels like this this really interesting flashback, like, I really feel like this gives so much more of like a complete picture to who Lloyd is now. Yeah. Uh, I do kind of wonder if, uh, if Twilight is actually going to go back home after this or if like uh, it'll be made out like he died in this attack. And so that'll be a cover for like erasing his identity maybe. Uh, but that's a minor detail in terms of like the real heavy impact of this story, which is just that, yeah, uh, in more, yes, there are some occasions where it is like unavoidable, but the cost is very rarely ever tracked the way that it should be, which is that uh, innocent and poor and vulnerable people are the ones who suffer and die the most. And that is a cost that is so much greater than anything that can possibly be gained from any form of armed conflict. Uh, it should be avoided at any and all cost if possible. And, uh, also it's really, really kind of uncomfortable, quite uncomfortable actually to see, you know, the way that, uh, Twilight and his friends talk about like the other side, you know, they're indoctrinated from this early age, even though the sides are currently at peace when the story starts to think of the other side as inhuman, and so, you know, they're they're pushed to try and kill the other side from an early age like that. Gross. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's it's um, <clears throat> it's a heavy chapter, heavy chapter. Very good. But definitely uh, one that you're like, <clears throat> God damn, you know, different sort of feeling at the end of it. I hope we uh, get back to if is going to get a Duntritus bolt again. Can we go back there, please? <laughs> Nick, let's move on to a completely different note. Let's, let's talk about 15 teenagers talk to each other in a room. Oh my gosh, it's well, World Trigger. Rooms, different rooms. Let's establish different, that. Different rooms. rooms. There are different rooms. Yeah. Chapter 221 of World Trigger. The Away Mission Test Part 19! <laughs> uh, let's try and, ham and, and, and rifle through I'll, these. I'll bullets. be honest. I feel like you could really like... For the grand scope of people, sum up these chapters in various teams, talk about the results of their test, and they feel bad about their performance. Basically, yes. <laughs> and there's like varying degrees of it. And there's like a detail that like Ninumiya is being particularly hard on Emma. 
And he's trying to, tr- to, tr- to prepare him for the future, yeah, basically. He's trying to train the next generation, these young yeah. kids. Um, Essentially, Ninomiya doesn't really care about the way that they actually perform. He's like, no, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be a good veteran and and bring on the new generation of of, uh, of agents to help out. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. Um, we see a phone conversation between Gitora and Ozma and Ozma says that he got a better score based because he covered one point which is that yeah i added that you know if there if the goal was stable strategies and that led to identical tactics then we might run into a situation where a squad faces a trigger that they simply can't handle and it would be like if an entire army of people doing rock went up against a single person making paper it's just like yeah okay it's a very silly visual um guitar and also he stresses on guitar like I mean, I don't know for sure. That's why I scored better, by the way. <laughs> like, I'm just kind of guessing. Uh, then he brings it to the point that he thinks that what of what Ninami is doing. Um, there's a conversation about food but in Kakizaki squad because they bring up how Taichi's all bummed. Whatever. Who cares? Fuck Taichi. So I mean, that was like a, that was a real moment where I was like, I feel like for most people, you do you are meant to kind of feel bad for Taichi in this scene. But I was like, I feel like between both Nick and myself, we're like, yeah, Taiji, shut up. All right. <laughs> Fuck yourself. Like, it was real angry. Like, you and your stupid hat, calm down. Jeez. Get over it, God. It really is just the hat, right? <laughs> like, his personality doesn't help. But I feel it's... like if he took the hat off, I'd be fine with it. Uh, no, there's more okay. to it than that. All right. So the hat is just an easy thing to make him memorable and hateable for me. So anyway um then they uh da, 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 da. so also uh one guy says there's another reason i picked you and kage for my squad anyway moving on mizukami squad his squad mates are thinking that uh th- it's weird that they're out doing the other team so much and so they're like yeah maybe we should like ask the other squads what we're doing differently because this is like really weird and mizukami's looking around like mm-hmm so then he's like oh hey you know if you did that wouldn't that be really messed up because you'd be like oh why are we doing so incredibly awesome i was wondering if you guys were kind of having some trouble oh no we're just really awesome thank you bye he's like, yeah if you did that then we would look like huge jerks don't you think so he just really desperately comes up with this big excuse for why they should do this and as he keeps going on he sounds more and more harsh until eventually uh he just gets dragged away by their operator and it's like hey i know some of the bullshit is going on with you so you could just tell me and at that moment arafude comes out of the shower so we get to see what he looks like without his cap he looks way more forgettable put the cap on at all times just wear it if he doesn't have the hat i i firmly believe he shouldn't be in a scene because i i will not know who he is right um but Mizukami's like no i can't tell you what's going on because if this ever comes to a point where like everyone else finds out about it that it cause a bigger rift if it were three of us know the secret and two of us didn't then if just i know the secret and everyone blamed me okay also i just don't want to tell you yeah like, <laughs> also i don't want to yeah, pretty much. Um, the other two, meanwhile, have a conversation 
and one of them thinks that he's like having a big like p- giving a big pep talk and the other and the girl is just kind of like yeah I'm sure whatever <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let him think that he's gotten through to being encouraged to be i guess uh we cut to Karuma squad. Yuba is still pondering the results of stuff. He's so stressed out and tired that his hair isn't perfectly slicked into shape. Uh, and Korai comes by and uh, his Zack Ryder hair is down. So he's like, oh, are you anxious about the battle sim scores? That's not your fault. But Yuba's like, no, no, no. Uh, there was also the stuff about the special assignment. Uh, and then all this happened. And Korai's like, well, it worked out for the best, though, because you're not the biggest fan of video games. And you was like, that's not the point. <laughs> he doesn't like being given special treatment. No. Uh, and then when Korai tries to stay up with him and to work more, he's like, no, it's past your bedtime. Man. All right. Sua Squad, which is the one that a main character is on. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, Osamu has a conversation with, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? I forget. The dark-haired guy that's Okeda also on the team. Okita or something like that? Is I don't it, remember. Is it, it, it Okudera? Is it Okita? I don't, I don't know. know. Anyway, they have a conversation. I'm going to type in OG Squad World Trigger. I think he's on OG Squad. So, uh... He says that he no, had a conversation. he's not. God damn it. He's on a coma squad, I think, now. All right. Fucking God. He had a conversation with uh, his with Hisato, who was on his, who okay. was a friend of his. There you go. And uh, the guy said, oh, you should be counting yourself lucky that Sue is in charge. And Oki's like, are you sure about that? But no, nah, he was right. Because even Katori has started cooling her jets a little. Everything's finally going our way. And Osamu thinks to himself, like, well, I guess that, yeah, I guess it's fine. But Victoria pointed out, you know, the Sim victories are really going to start to count more in the future. So we've got to start doing better. Um, but uh, and then he says, oh, and about the score that Mizukami's squad got, Sue mentioned that he had an idea about what might be going on. And Oki's like, yeah, actually, it's been bugging me, too. And I've been thinking about it. Do you think that Mizukami is just doing the battle sims by himself? End of chapter. So, yeah, a lot of little moments between between various different groups of people. So I, I like the chapters. I want to clarify. I do like both of these chapters, and I do like getting to see more of these conversations. I will be honest. There are a couple characters and, like, groups that I'm like, I don't remember who you are. Like, yep. even the main thing going on with Mizukami, I don't know who the girl he's he, like, shit on was. And I was like, oh, she must be the operator for the group. But then there's another girl, and I'm like, well, I don't know who she is. I think she's the operator for the group. Now I don't know who the other girl is, and I, I – here's the thing. We're about to get, like, four people in the chat who are going to tell me who it is. But th- th- the point is I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't know this character. I don't remember if she had, like, an elaborate backstory or something. Like, I just – I can't work up the energy to remember – 70 characters constantly talking and interacting at one point so you know (laughs) it's just one of those things of like i appreciate what is happening from a a a disconnected vantage point but i i cannot like some of these points i'm just like i'm going along with what you're saying and i hold no actual like retroactive knowledge to make this moment have any real impact (laughs) Uh. All right, 
Here we go. Let's talk about Eden Zero next. Eden Zero! Eden Zero, chapter 186, the sub-dimension program. Uh, so last time, the, I don't know what you call them, A-team of the Eden Zero. The Dark Stars and the, 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 the guys who decided to give themselves all nicknames, I guess. Yeah, that, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. So yeah, they run into the real Dark Stars, Nick. Because as we remember, two of these characters were killed and then rebuilt. Um, and of course, Pino has to go in with the standard battle shonen. <gasps> these are the strongest characters we've ever seen. In fact, they're stronger than even characters we know. They uh, they surpass the shining stars in performance and numerical statistics. Uh, and then Happy <laughs> says a line, <laughs> which is fucking brutal. He says, "This is disgusting. <laughs> we're not gonna lose to a bunch of jerks with no hearts." <laughs> Yeah, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Not since Woody and Toy Story in uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 walked up to young Xehanort and says, you don't have any friends, do you? And that's because no one's ever loved you before in your life as a character who seems so disconnected to the situation just cut to a very vicious core. Um, Amor reiterates this point by saying, if you had hearts... Those hearts would be pained at the thought of hurting innocent people. It's like, that's all right. Well, hold on. <laughs> so uh, Killer is just like, hmm, hearts. And Clown says, well, you could say we don't have hearts. Couldn't say that we do. We don't. Ha you could say that we don't have hearts, but you can't say that we do. Or, or but you could say that we do. Um, because Brigadine says we fight for the good of all mechanical life forms. That is our heart. And Lucy or Rebecca says, that's not really a heart, which is kind of racist. That's really messed up, honestly. <laughs> kind of no, 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 no. See, you fight for the benefit of fucking machines. But... <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. you guys can have your own thing. It's not really like a real heart, though. It's not, re yeah. hard, it's not no. really. You don't re really have you don't really have emotions, yeah. do you? Like, come on. <laughs> By the way. The only thing dividing them, I don't like, it's such a weird, like, I know this is like the Kingdom Hearts kind of level of just like, you need hearts and love and light and all that bullshit. But it's one of those things like, they're just robots who care about other robots. Yeah. Half your crew are robots who you all declare have hearts. Yeah. For what tangible difference? Like, they don't seem to hate people. In fact, the fact that they loudly pro like proclaim like, hey, we're we're working for the good of mechanical life forms seems to indicate they have some ability to care about something besides themselves. And like they're like maliciously evil. So it's just like, what the fuck does that line mean? Well, I mean, like a couple of the point is that a couple of series ago, we were talking about how I was like, oh, man, it's really disturbing how, you know, all the people demonize the people from the other country in order to justify being enthusiastic about killing them and going to war with them. And here are the heroes of the story literally dehumanizing their opponents is like, oh, you don't really have hearts, though. You just have yeah. programs that tell you what to do. But how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> have you... Ha have you sat down and talked with them and really understood how they feel about this? This is situation? the first time. What, what I think really tickles me is this is the first time they met these people. Like, they've known them for six seconds. They're like, look at this no heart having bitch over here. Well, you know, like, uh, we overheard um, 
No, wait, that didn't even happen. I was going to say like that they had talked to someone who had met these characters. But like, No, wait, that didn't happen. It was just that Jaguar guy yeah. who encountered them. <laughs> We've literally only seen the Dark Stars do anything active once. And it was Keller and Brigadine trying to kill Bob Lucci, and they got fucking one shot. So it's a weird way to introduce these characters who are supposed to be way stronger. <laughs> um, the, they're like, hey, we're going to have a fight. But Keller activates uh, a sub-program, a landscape pulse uh, plug-in. They're creating a new dimension. Whoa! And it transports all of them, separating them into individual one-on-one fights. And we open with Wise, who is in, like, an abandoned office hospital thing, hallway. And he's like, where is this? And Keller's there, and he says, this is the sub-dimension program. We've created unique backdrops to which to ki- in which to kill you each individually. Unique. I'm- yeah. <laughs> it's a hallway. Unique. <laughs> it's personalized to you and only you. <laughs> I-, I-, I do need to, because Ninja is bringing it up, I do need to clarify, we have seen the Dark Stars before. Seen them do something, though, is what I'm trying to clarify. We haven't yes. seen them do anything to actually find them imposing. Uh, Killer says, I am Killer, the brain of Edens, and I will be killing you. And Weiss says, the brain, you don't look very smart in that department. What uh, does he mean? <laughs> again, known these characters for about 35 seconds so far. What kind of a smart person would wear a weird metal suit like that? <laughs> and then he says, I'm the flame of Edens. I'm going to use my heavy artillery to turn you to cinders. And now look, Nick, I don't like using the word cringe. I I actively avoid it. I don't think it's a very helpful term. And, you know, everybody has their own opinions. I will say this is hokey as shit, though. This is the (laughs) dumbest. Like, you know, I thought retroactively it was supposed to be a joke when Couch Po Po called herself the stomach of Eden's. Because it's like, oh, she's kind of riffing off the fact that some of you guys have dumb, stupid nicknames like the Soul of Edens and the Shield of Edens or whatever. I guess everyone's just supposed to be some dumb, stupid thing of Edens, even when it doesn't make sense. What about Weiss says the Flame of Edens? What about Killer that we've seen so far says he's the Brain of Edens? Literally, the only thing we've seen him do is get murdered. And that doesn't (laughs) seem very smart to me. (laughs) Yeah. And if Weiss knew that, then he'd have a point. But he didn't! <laughs> we cut over to Rebecca, who's on a top rope and almost falls off of it because it's on a top rope dangling in a giant circus tent. And Pappy and Pino are trapped in a cage. And Clown's just like, What's a circus without an audience? Let the greatest show from hell begin! He doesn't Now, get- that's... There you go. If you want to, like, you know custom stage is like yes okay a big top circus tent for the clown sure yeah i will accept Thematic. sure i'm killer so we're in a hallway <laughs> <laughs> and what's really disappointing is we don't actually get clown saying like i want him to be like I am clown and I am the funny bone of Eden's. Like I want everyone to have a <laughs> stupid thing. Like they get to like, I am wizard and I am the amygdala of, of the beans. <laughs> I am the lower intestinal tract of Eden's. Everyone's like, why is this thing so specific? Holy joints. I am room. wizard. I am wizard and I am the second left bicuspid of, <laughs> of Eden's. 
I am holy and I am the breasts of Edens. <laughs> you know, like oh, that's not a surprise whatsoever. <laughs> expect that one. Uh, we cut away. By the way, they are allowed to send people anywhere. So it is one of those questions. Of like, why didn't you just send her to a giant spike pit? <laughs> like, why was there a right. to begin Why didn't we just take everyone to the acid dimension? <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of that to this point, but you yeah, whatever. Uh, Cheeky shows up in a, a place that seems very familiar. He's like, where am I? And someone says, don't you remember? Take a look around. This is the land of swords, magic, and dreams. The kingdom of Grand Bell. <gasps> and it's Michael, the robot that Cheeky is friends with, that we all knew. We cut over. Uh, is like, hey, where are the others? And Brigadine is like, it didn't make sense. Like, this is the cool place. <laughs> We're going to fight here. We didn't need an look, arena for this. This is, this is literally called an arena, like. So we might as well like fight here. Yes. Um, can you pick that up for me? I have a really hard time moving my shoulders. <laughs> His armor's dangerously impractical. <laughs> uh, Brigadine says, "I am the counterpart to Valkyrie. I am the armor of Edens, Brigadine, and you will be facing me." Wouldn't and- the counterpart to a sword be a shield? Yeah, but you know, like you're. Your other member had that, so we didn't want to, like... She called dibs, okay? So I'm the armor! I'm the armor of Edens. By the way, the only... <laughs> to stick with on my wiki page, the only entries, I got ripped apart by poverty, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not the best in <laughs> You're like... He sucks so much! Before we start fighting, you're not, like, part tiger or anything, right? No? It's part leopard? Part lion? Part puma. Okay, we can fight now. These characters blow. I just We need like I don't I don't wanna like advocate for the idea that we needed like another arc, but it really does like a disservice that the only thing we saw two of these characters do before this point was them dying. And then they show up to be like, oh, I'm gonna kill your ass now and i'm like well history says differently i don't like you got completely <laughs> punked the last time we saw you yeah instead instead of seeing them get taken apart we should have just shown them talking a few times and had one of them say desert 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 <laughs> like i really wish like there was like the force in this series so like when he bringing dean's giving his big speech fucking <laughs> like Bob Lucci could be talking through the force to more. It's like, you weren't much of a suit of armor when I ripped you apart, you bitch. <laughs> and she's just like, I just want the characters to know that these dudes suck. Like, I want that to be how they go into this fight. Well, you know, thinking that they're incompetent is just the same as thinking that they're inhuman assholes who don't have souls. So... <laughs> That is true. They are consi- they are looking down on them quite a lot. Uh, Dead End Crow is fighting against the Eden Zero itself. He's like, ah, oh, this is supposed to be equal to the one. Doesn't look like it to me. Scorch. Uh, yeah, so Holy gets to uh, get her own, I forget what they called it, dress, maid armor, some bullshit like that. Her own mech suit thing that's specialized to her. So... Boom! She's launched out there. We come- also she ma- she specifically brings up don't don't you think your your suits are like this open cleavage is a little bit ridiculous and and I think it's Hermit just shoots back with 
I mean, it, it's more than what you normally wear. <laughs> Which yeah, is fair points. I was like, I guess that's a true point. I do like how they address like, but why? <laughs> like, yeah, like, right. I I can choose to wear like a low cut top because whatever. Why did you, when you designed the spacesuit, put a giant? I'm just bringing up the point ruble? that I'm just bringing up the point that when you designed this suit, it wasn't with me in mind. Yeah. Like, if mine was the only one with the cleavage window, I'd be like, yes, Absolutely. thank you. This is the correct answer. But. <laughs> oh, let's wrap this up because we have so many other manga to talk about. Uh, Shiki is being taunted by Michael and all the other robots who are dead. They're like, hey, no, we're actually here. And then Witch is there, too. And she's like, Lord Demon King. And Shiki's like, no. And he slaps the hand away. And he's we see it's Wizard. Wizard transformed himself into the Witch for a moment to try to kill him. I do like the line that they lines that they exchanged at the end because Wizard's taunting Shiki and says like you know even though you know it's an illusion you're still weak to this because of your human heart and Shiki's like no it's because I have a heart that you won't fool me so yeah it's it's kind of cool kind of um, there are little bits of this chapter that are better than others because it jumps around so much but yeah it's 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 not great and it does have that very weird note that it starts off on. you don't have a heart like, all right like, go off nick uh real quick before we jump over uh if you were to be posed you have to give your grand uh, hero speech what are you of eden's like what is what is your title the of skull eden's? the skull of Eden. that's actually yeah. pretty dope. that's pretty metal <laughs> Wear too many shirts with skulls on them, not to know. It's like, like if we're naming our, ourselves after body parts, I'm not going to go with something like the gonads, okay? <laughs> I am the lymph nodes of Edens. <laughs> I'm the cuticles of Eden. <laughs> I'm the uvula of Edens. <laughs> I'm the hair of Edens, but just like the hair like, that's like on like your knuckles, though, yeah. like that, 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 just that hair, just that hair. The epidermis of, of Edens. Uh, that's that, that, that that's actually okay i think <laughs> it just it's just a silly word i agree so. all right now all let's right. talk about a bunch better series akane banashi story eight in order to entertain so uh hatsan as akane uh refers to him is uh getting accompanied by her uh, oh no hatsan is like i guess that little toy she's got kyo is his name i forget his full name kyoji uh, so she's going with him on a gig. Uh, they go and introduce themselves uh, to the uh, guy who heads the retirement home that they're going to be performing at, or rather that Kyoji is going to be performing at. There is, I just want to bring attention to this because it caught me so off guard when I read this chapter the first time. As he's leading them forward, he says, right this way, and the arrow of his word bubble goes and leaps over their heads to follow him. And it's like it's pointing the way that they walk. It's it's it. I don't know why that there's that level of just additional detail on that one small panel, but I love it. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they bring up like, oh yeah, this is this is a retirement home. You can see all sorts of like medical equipment that they've got uh, in various easy to access areas, uh, and so kind of thinking like, okay, so we're the, the performance is going to be for the people who live here. And Kyoji talks to her while when they have some privacy because and he says, like, yeah, not every Rakugo job takes place in a big hall. 
one of the strengths of Rakugo is you can perform it literally anywhere as long as there is a Zaputan cushion to sit on. Uh, and he's, But he also says, so you might be worried about performing in an unfamiliar setting. And Kai's like, what were you talking about? Nah, this feels kind of lucky. Because, you know, it's it's cool to see the daily life of my audience right here and right now. Because normally, you only get to see people when they come to the hall. I know it's obvious, but this way it really hits home that there are people with their own schedules who are taking time out of their day to see us. So I'm glad that we're performing here. What a good kid. So... Uh, Kyoji says, all right, we've got permission from the manager, so you can perform an opening act. You got 15 minutes. Go do whatever you want. Uh, I've challenged you to learn how to perform Rakugo that entertains your audience, so let's see what you've got. So Akane ties up her hair into a ponytail and heads off and takes the quote-unquote stage. It's it's a very small stage. She's basically just on a box so that she's elevated uh, while she's kneeling. Uh, and she looks out over the audience, and of course, there's a lot of elderly faces there, and it's a small audience as well. She says that there's less than 20 people there. Uh, so she recalls some of the advice that she got while she was working uh, at Miku's pub. So he says, okay, first off, I need to get to know, I need to get them to know me better. So she introduces herself. She says that she's finishing up high school and when she's going to be graduating, uh, and then she says, hey, I'm going to become an apprentice Rakugoka. And there's a very sweet little moment where one of the women says, oh, you're the same age as my granddaughter. It's like, oh, isn't that cute? Um, and so and she asks the woman, oh, and how can I ask how old you are? And she says, I'm 88. Oh, but you don't look a day over 87. Ah, laugh. <laughs> nice light humor. Uh and uh, Kyoji's like, okay, she's doing a good job of actually feeling them out and testing the waters, which she's having a pleasant conversation in an old folks home. And there's a sudden visual of like steam drifting off of her. <laughs> it's so intense. But um, basically, the, this is visualized as like she's baiting, essentially. She's going out with a, a hook and line. Uh, it's known as the Makura, the time to warm up an audience and get a feel for their mood. And so as Akane is doing this, she not only has this, you know, very helpful input from this woman. She also notices that one of the folks there is very bored and is just staring out the window. So she kind of turns towards him and they match eyes while she starts to introduce the story she's going to tell. And she smiles at him as they match eyes. And we get this explanation from when she learned it for Miku, which is if you it's called last eye contact, where basically as someone is turning away, then you smile. So you give them the their last impression that they have is a good one. It's a positive one. Uh, and so this prompts the guy that she matches meets gazes with to pay more attention to her. And Kyoji is observing all this and is like, this is actually really encouraging because she is conversing with her audience. Even if you're not exchanging words, there's so much information you can get from each other just by gauging attention level and expressions and attitude. And from all of that, when you keep your mind on your audience, you can do so much. And yeah, she's done a good job learning in all, from all of this. And now Akane is basically really ramping up her performance. We see that there is a visual of the person she is acting out behind her while she's reciting her lines. 
And that's where we end the chapter. It's the first time in a little while that we've gotten like part one of a little story as opposed to, and the point is all wrapped up in one go. So, well, we also are only eight chapters into the series. So like finding like a real rhythm is a little bit different. Um, This is a fantastic chapter. I I love the little details. I love the little touches. And I I think ultimately what really sells this, this chapter is the art. Um, We've talked before about the expressions and how, you know, it's very cool how Akane can look very goofy and silly to match like the pace of her story. But just the moment of ke- like describing last eye contact and how they visualize it, seeing it through like the two of their eyes and like their pupils seeing that moment. It was just a really well done way to execute it. It, it just feels really, really good. Like I, I like it a lot. Um I, I, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I, I think it was a great, great chapter. It's almost like a moment you would see, like, illustrating a turnabout in Yu-Gi-Oh! With, with the boing, the gazes matching. Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. Okay, we move on to Blue Box next. It's uh-huh. chapter 47, August 26, part 3, with the most cheesecakey opening page of of this series so far i think <laughs> which i mean like mashima heroes looking at this being like what are you talking about that's nothing they're <laughs> barely gigantic what are you doing uh it is worth uh noting like the author comments this week uh was uh Mirara basically saying like i wasn't sure if i should draw a swimsuit like title page or not <laughs> like i guess it's jump i guess i kind of have to and i was kind of like no it's weird you really didn't need to but again it's hey it's not as bad as as what has been seen many other times so you know yeah let's get to, uh let's get this is this is the like the least notable thing like in a chapter that has almost nothing happened in it this oh, is like the least notable thing I would talk about is like, oh, well, let's talk about the title page. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah. The notable thing about this chapter is that nothing happens. Because <laughs> like, we got the big setup last time that, oh, no, Taiki and Shinatsu are stranded and they're going to have to stay in an inn together. And there's only one room available. They've got to share it and sleep next to each other. What's going to happen? Uh, so Taiki, of course, is flustered by the whole situation. He reports to his family like, yeah, there's a landslide, so we were stuck, but it's okay. You know, we're here with the whole gang so that, you know, his family doesn't know that he's just alone in a room with a similarly aged girl by themselves. Um, and he's like, oh, no, I'm going to be sharing a room with Jinatsu Senpai. Not, not that I'll do anything inappropriate. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Good. But uh, he also thinks to himself, I hope she's not disappointed that this happened on her birthday. Um, Chinatsu comes in. She's wearing a kimono uh, or, or uh, a yukata, I should say. And uh, Daiki is like, ah, she's so cute. So that's great. Um, he's really, really agitated. But Chinatsu as a surprise. It turns out there were a bunch of board games in the lobby that they can spend time playing, including, oh, no, it's just right there. It's right there. 
Uh, I believe uh, eventually, after the death of Mr. Uno, Uno eventually fell into public domain, so anyone That's can right. create their own interpretations of Uno. Uh, I have Uno fighting Harry or uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, my Winnie the Pooh is wearing a maroon shirt, which is different from the red shirt, so I'm allowed to use it. Come at me, Disney. That's You'll right. never find me. <laughs> I believe that Pooh was actually allowed to fall into the public domain. Pooh so. is, but you can't you can't make it look like the Winnie the Pooh from Disney. Ah. That's that's the, so like the red shirt is mm-hmm. still them. Uh, but Disney will never find me because I switched the numbers on the front of my house. So <laughs> checkmate, <laughs> idiots. Ah, <laughs> uh, why are there? Two three three zeros in this area. We'll never find that three oh three. Damn it. <laughs> seven seven eight seven seven nine seven seven six. All right. Must be an invalid house that doesn't exist. Let's pass over it. No mail shall be brought to it. You just get all the all the mail from the other house. <laughs> I'm just. It's just the first thing. Uh, honey, did we impose copyright infringement upon the Disney Corporation again? <laughs> That's the other part. So you go to the other neighbor and flip theirs upside down. Honey, what? we've got a lot of cease and desist coming in. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> so <it's> just... <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> oh. So, uh, they've got some games that they can play, and Janet's like, yeah, let's have a board game blitz, since, you know, we're having a sleepover already. Uh, and so they they start playing, and it's like, yeah, okay. Uh, Chinatsu gets a call from uh, her friend slash teammate Nagisa, uh, and oh my gosh, it's a video call! So, no, Taiki better make sure he doesn't get spotted while she's holding the phone so the camera faces away from him. Anyway, he hides under the table. Yeah, I was like, he really over-exaggerated. Oh, I gotta hide under the table. It's not like she's like, check out my room or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like she's FaceTiming, like. Right. Uh, so, Nagisa says, like, hey, you know, I, I kind of noticed, like, you were acting kind of weird before, so I just want you to know that I'm here to support you, and we're gonna we're gonna do even better next year. So let's get stronger together as a team because she's a good friend. Uh, and uh, but she says, like, but you know, I mean, like, I wanted to reassure you and stuff, but honestly, you already look more relaxed. You, you seemed way more stressed out before. Uh, oh, and you're wearing a yukata. Wait, are you at an inn right now? And she says, oh, yeah, I'm here with the family I'm staying with, which is not a lie. It's, <laughs> it's like so. Um, but, uh, then Nagisa says, yeah, I know you were really disappointed you, had to we- you didn't get to wear a Yukata to the fireworks festival before. Uh, and, uh, anyway, they, they, they just get ready to, to, to stop. And then Taiki notices that, um, a, one of the drinks on the table has magically crawled over to the edge and is about to fall over. I don't know how this happened. Like, yeah, it is, it is a very amusing thing of like, uh, oh. <laughs> Uh, and Taiki, being the very grounded, calm person that he is, goes, ah! Well, he tries to catch it. <laughs> so just before Chinatsu hangs up the call, and uh, Taiki's like, oh no, I let out a yell. And Chinatsu's like, eh, it's fine, I hung up. 
But Nagis, of course, like, did I hear a guy's voice just now? <laughs> Maybe it's the dad. I, I, feel, like, <laughs> I feel like the much larger question you should ask is like, did I hear someone scream at the end of that call? <laughs> was someone getting stabbed? Like, What's going I on? Call back? Like, <laughs> sounds like someone was screaming bloody murder. Or a glass was being innocently, dro- innocently dropped and someone way overacted to it. <laughs> both, the- both seem equally likely in my book. Yeah. <laughs> ah! Nope, Nick, don't drop that water! <laughs> um, Taiki just kind of comments like, oh, you've got some good friends. And Shinatsu says, yeah, I'm, I'm surrounded by really good people. Um, Taiki is, because he's been reminded of the festival, he, he just brings up like, oh, so... I know that when I was telling you about that, when we were at home that I said I was going in a group. And then like when he ran into me, uh, like I was just there with Hime. But uh, the thing is that I was going to go with the group, but we couldn't get everyone together. And Kyo got a fever that day. So I didn't go out with everyone. I uh, just didn't want you to think I was lying to you. Sorry. But she just says, you know, I mean, you don't have to apologize for that. But Taiki just says, well, yeah, I just wanted to say it, though. Um, Chinatsu says in response, "Okay, well, I've got something else. I've got something that I hope you'll forgive me for, which is I want to take back what I said about it not being good. And I'm the one who kind of drew boundaries and made you keep your distance. And I realized that that was kind of rude to you. And Taiki's like, "Uh, no, no, you don't have to apologize for that. Oh, uh, it's two things that they didn't have to feel bad about that they got off their chests and everything's better now between them. Yeah. So there you go. They play cards. The sun comes up. Chinatsu wakes up uh, from where she's sleeping uh, on the mat and uh, she realizes that Taiki fell asleep in his chair, which means he's going to have horrible neck pains oh, later. Fucking like even as a young kid, that's still going to be like, God damn, mm-hmm. my back's fucking killing me. Uh, and, uh, so she goes over to him, he's still sleeping and he like slumps over and she like mimics him as he's slumping over and then laughs when he jerks back upright. So just, she's amused. And then she wishes herself good morning on her first morning as a 17 year old. So I don't know why, but it's like the moment that actually sold this chapter to me is her doing the head thing. Oh yeah. I was like, I don't know why, but that's like such a like adorably human thing to do that i was like all right i like you a little bit more chinasi that was like a thing a person would do that felt spontaneous and kind of weird and you know it was amusing to me the longer the series goes on the more i do find myself liking chinatsu which i think is a very deliberate thing of yes you're seeing more of who chinatsu actually is as opposed to the idealized version that you were introduced to through taiki so all right, Nick, we have been on a streak of good chapters to talk about in Zero Barring. So let's <laughs> let's keep that momentum up with PPPP. Oh, right. Well, this one could still be good, right, Nick? Um, I mean, as far as Durand on chapters go, it's it's excellent. Good. Yeah, it's, you could say yeah, it's, yeah. you could say it's the best chapter ever. Possibly. Uh, it's chapter 17, Sword and Shield. Remember that great Yu-Gi-Oh card, the iconic one that, you know, switches stuff around. Nick, I think you mean Sword and Shield. 
I can't say that card. There's like seven or eight cards. I'm like, I can't say it without doing it in a faux Joey Wheeler Brooklyn accent. <laughs> Flame Swordsman. That's certain things that he had to play were pretty ridiculous. The Swordsman of Landstar. <laughs> Red Eyes Black Dragon. I believe you'll find it is called Red Eyes B Period Dragons. <laughs> I don't. I can't read. I just let you tell me what the cards say. <laughs> Jinzo, eh, eh. Graver Arbor. He's like Graver Arbor. He's like, well, it's one word, so I just pronounce it as I seize it. Grave Robert. <laughs> Graver Arbor. <laughs> Graver Arbor. Anyway. <sighs> So, dragon, go ahead. <laughs> time wizard. So, the drunk demon, no, no, okay, guy attacks the determination. Can we just to... go back to talking about Yu Gi Oh cards? Right. So, then he tries to attack the guy, but then he backs off because he's super tough and defensive and stuff. And so, then they're gonna work together. They're a perfect tag team, Yug. So, then, uh, Tora starts channeling his power. He and Kusanagi are gonna get all buffed up. So the sake demon guy, he takes a big old drink of alcohol and his hair turns white because he's super strong now. Uh, and Tora's like, I'm fine. So then the guy attacks him and he gets knocked on his ass, but then he comes back uh, and he's fine. And he says, a good shield's gotta be tough. And he's right, you know. Uh, and then we get a flashback, and it looks like they're fighting, uh, and they're training together by fighting each other. And uh, Uji tells them, you guys suck. Because they do. But uh, he says, you guys have got to get better. Oh, hey, and I'm going to explain the mechanics of how the channeling power thing works, because we got to get this out right now. You gotta channel your power for, like, in stages in order to in order for it to, to be fully effective. Uh, but that takes a while. So Toba says, it's okay. I'll be a shield and buy you time. And Dora's like, I don't want someone else to have to cover for me, even though Kusanagi literally covers for him by covering him in his demonic power so he can fight. Ah! It's so exhausting, man. Ah! It's, it's, it's a cool concept. You know, the hero has to get stronger and the way they do it is by channeling their energy and they have to get strong. Very Dragon Ball Z thing. Like, I need you, Gohan. I need you to take control, like, distract the energy while I power up or whatever. But it's so boring. There is something, like, maybe because, like, the way the series works, like, there's no actual impact. It's like, you know, the Mon Mamanoke is like, I'm going to punch you real hard. And it's just like, ow, I got hit. Like, there's no actual, like, damage thing going around or something like maybe if it was like a shield that was actually around him and like it was like breaking through the shield or something like that but he's, him just being like just oh. getting hurt yeah he just sits he, there and kind of shouts basically he's just getting hurt and just and getting back up and rushing back in to get hurt and get like he gets shoulder charged with spikes and he isn't turned into chunks of meat. He just flies away because I guess wounds don't exist in this universe unless they happen to Mononoke. Like Toma flies into the air after he gets 
again, shoulder tackled with huge curved spikes on the end, and none of the spikes do anything. They just go whack against his sword, and he goes flying into the air. He should still be on that shoulder yeah, he should when the impaled. demon turns to Dora. <laughs> just a skeleton at that point, like, ah, Dora, you did it right. So anyway, if you've ever seen, you know, Goku and Piccolo versus Raditz, then, yeah, he buys enough time for Dora to charge the special beam cannon, and then it works. And that's it. <laughs> he... He cuts through the, the sake demon guy in one blow. Yay. That's that's the end of the chapter. So again, as far as Dorondoron chapters go, it's pretty good. It's just that it's still, still not good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mentioned last time that this was gonna be kind of like this was probably if there was going to be a chapter you'd remember from this series, this would probably be the one, like based off of the potential it had and yeah it didn't really live up to it so i can pretty firmly say this is probably going to be a series we're not going to remember in a month or two nick let's talk about a good series i've got a riddle for you <laughs> uh well before we do that i have uh one i have a name for this segment uh you do to, yeah provided to us by the excellent ninja x3i who says oh. this is podcasters postulate poetically phrased professional pretenders that's very good. Yeah. That's that's full marks. That's a very good description. Uh, we All also, right. by the way, I have one for you, but it's not for me. Someone someone sent me this. Oh, uh, okay. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll start off with mine then. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Pink-eyed powerhouse pushes for plentiful protein portions. Uh, Ryback? That's right. Yeah, feed me more. Feed me more. Such a cool concept. Such a hideously untalented performer <laughs> of the a dangerously awful person. <laughs> Just bad. And then he decided that the way that he was going to fix his gimmick was to say how much he liked the secret in in a wrestling ring where he held up the book, The Secret. <laughs> uh, this one is from Zambe87. Zambe. Says, potent, powerful person. Plays with poor Peter. With poor Peter? With poor Peter. I mean, is this Macho Man, Randy Savage? Macho Man, Randy Savage, Nick. Bonesaw is ready. Bonesaw is ready. Potent, powerful person. Oh, because Macho, potent. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I get you. All right, yeah. It's an excellent one. That's a great way to reference. I was trying to think of, of of Macho Man at one point, but going the Bonesaw route is a good choice. I will good say, choice. if anyone likes, because I think I'm I'm I got my Funakai one out. I'm kind of, I'm probably retiring from the PPPPP uh, riddle guessing game thing. But if you would like to send one to me, I will take it into account, and I can challenge Nick with those then. Mm-hmm. All right, chapter twenty-seven of Pepe Pepe Pepe. By your fairy. Look at this. It's a color page because this series is going to last longer than I have time to think up more riddles because I've made a mistake. I shouldn't have never tried <laughs> to do did. this. I really, I've added this to recap being like, Nick, it's probably going to end like six chapters, but we're going to have fun those last six chapters. And then Blue Box will come in. And Blue Box did make it in. But uh, this series sticking around and I'm glad it is, because this is still a very excellent series. 
Yeah, we did. I'm we so did, glad that we, we, we did like, decided hand, to like. We did handcuff ourselves to a, to a, a bit though that is going to reach critical mass sometime. I, I'm glad that we did just decide to just add blue box rather than waiting for this one to finish because I feel like we would miss a lot. Of stuff. It ends before blue box ends. All right. Uh, so last time Miloli confronted Mima and said that it was her fault that she was upset, but she doesn't explain herself yet. Instead, we get some narration from Miloli's perspective to explain why, but only tell us the readers and not Mima. We mean, sorry, which, and so she says, so I have the power to distort the world. It's interesting and fun. And I love it. I love my own genius. And at first, Everyone said it was weird and no one ever praised me for it, but I never gave up or let it get me down. I kept playing and more people started listening until I became number one. And back then I didn't even think about giving up or letting it get me down. I was free. The best way to describe those days is that they were comfortable. Every day was wonderful. And Meloli presently takes the stage and as she does so, she looks over at Mimin and she thinks to herself, when she plays, she evokes cute fairies and beautiful trees. And I knew that, so it didn't present much of a problem. I thought my piano playing was the best. But on that day. And we see her perspective of the confrontation between uh, Mimin and uh, an interviewer. Uh, and the MC was just like, I mean, you're the only one in your family who hasn't placed first yet. What's up with that? You suck. You suck, don't you? Yeah. Answer my question, 10-year-old girl. <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> I'm uh, here interviewing children to find out why there's such failures in life. <laughs> why are you a failure, young girl? I look like Alfred Einstein for some reason. <laughs> It's all just old people here. Chopin, Albert Einstein, somebody else like that, probably. But why do you suck so much? Also, how was your how was your 11th birthday? <laughs> you know why you didn't get the present you wanted? Because Santa hates you. <laughs> Santa doesn't give birthday presents. He's not giving you anything when you suck this much. Your comments? Again on your sucking? <laughs> Oh, I didn't even consider it. It's so fucked up. There's an interviewer who's just like, your your whole family's successful, but not you. Why do you think that is? <laughs> I mean, the only other member of your family who's not successful got like rejected by the entire family. You're next. You think your daddy will stop loving you soon? <laughs> they say that he's me, but it is great. He's like, do you think you're basically going to be unpersoned from your family if your continued failure continues to, to astound and astonish? <laughs> it's like tapped on the head with the microphone. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've been holding the mic too high, and I know that you've had failure reaching for the stars already, so I'll, oh. lo I'll lower it for you like your standards are playing. <laughs> Oh, sorry. You don't understand what a sick burn that is because you're 10. <laughs> Come on, kiddo. Get some, get some better grammatical understanding so you can understand how hard I owned you. <laughs> Your comments. You, you suck comments. <laughs> he just eventually just, just falls into 
suck and I've heard you smell. All the girls in school say you have cooties. Your thoughts? <laughs> Someone's like, hey, wait a minute. That man's not a reporter. He's just a mean old man. <laughs> no, something was up. Hey, little girl, do you want this cookie? Too bad I mean to get your comments. <laughs> It tastes good. Would you like some? Would only winners get cookies? Your thoughts? <laughs> anyway, this character shows up in two panels of the series, so <laughs> thanks for coming by. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so what the man has to say in response to this anyway is, I just want to play like Melolin. So I'm going to play however I want and get first place and be free. And so she played. She played effortlessly while looking so innocent. And basically, Mima just goes, hey, so that girl does distorted playing and I love her. So maybe if I like conjure those trees I normally do, maybe I could distort them. Let's give it a try. And she just does it because she's a fucking genius. So she can do that kind of thing. So... Maloli happens to see all this on TV because it's a special TV broadcast for the Odogami families playing. Uh, and so Maloli witnesses this and the tree winds around her as it's distorted. It ensnares her in its grip. And she's got this shocked and hurt kind of expression on her face, like horrified, basically. And she says in the narration, in contrast to a warped background, I felt her distorted trees were much more evocative. She's number one. I'm number two. And I hated that feeling. It made me into a mess. So much so that I started having a lot of uninspired performances in front of audiences. And in the present, we started thinking to herself, in this world, unless I believe I'm the best, Nothing else has meaning. And as she starts playing, people are like, oh, yeah, this is good. But they're observing that there's no distortion in the performance of Pavani for a dead princess. And Mimin is disappointed in this. Uh, Lucky, however, thinks that it sounds kind of scary. We get another flashback from Maloli's perspective of her speaking with uh, the headmaster of the academy. Uh, and she says, Hey, would you like to try and take on an odd job? Like playing piano for a band. And Maloli says the uncomfortable days continued until the day I had an epiphany. The more I played normally, the more Mimin Odogami would call forth her trees. She was on top internationally drawing attention from everyone, but she looked bored. Like she was sick of it. So I analyzed Mimin Odogami. She likes me. She thinks I'm being held back and struggling. She's been using her lack of freedom for my sake so that others can give me recognition. But that won't lead to freedom. If she continues like this, she's going to hate the piano. I've realized the day she hates playing the piano, I'll go from number two to number one. If only she'd hate playing the piano and leave the music world. I'm putting aside my genius to perfect traditional playing. 
I've decided to play for a band and I'm going to see an image of myself into that girl's eyes. I'll just make up some excuse for the time being. Now, it's time to be evil. And as she says this, the image of her just like wearing a regular uniform and like a cap falls away and freaking pulsating bat wings come out of her shoulders. <laughs> and she says to herself, I will be the one behind the downfall of that incredible genius. I need to do this or I'll never be able to compete with her. It was hard becoming evil. I'd always thought Mimi Notogami was cute, and that's why I'd helped her that day. It was hard seeing her so bored, and I was confused for so long, but that day, seeing her bored face playing Revolution, I felt happy. I think I'm happy. I was able to become completely evil. To her, freedom means fairies. Your fairy is going to kill you. That's the most evil piano player I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm going to murder you. <laughs> it's fucking a vicious thing when you think about it, where she's like, you are so inspired by me, and I'm going to intentionally play such lifeless, boring bullshit that you'll lose whatever inspiration you found in this medium to the point where you become so dejective and 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 disinterested in his hobby that you leave it completely and then i will go back to being uncontested in my art style is fucking like it's so sinister in like the way where this series can't actually have people i mean it did have someone try to kidnap someone once but i was like be, outside of these two characters fight each other in the parking lot this is such like a vicious way of 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 going about things and i love it like i love this execution it's a little on the news but like i i think even her saying like i will become completely evil i've become evil all that sort of stuff but like fuck man it's doing it for me i love the, this turn for melody how she's she's suddenly got this very interesting personality of just like i'm playing like bullshit so you'll just never play music again because you'll lose you'll lose all passion for it you won't even have a reason for wanting to play anymore So, they like each other, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. Okay. They, okay. She, I have to. I, she even calls her cute in the chapter. Come on. Nick, remember, Nick Skadar is broken. So, <laughs> <laughs> you see two dudes make out next to each other, and you're just like, mm. it's just like, huh? I wonder. <laughs> don't know <laughs> you're watching elton john in like a flamingo suit, mm. a flamingo suit playing crocodile that's an interesting choice <laughs> you're like how curious i wonder what his wife thinks <laughs> oh yeah so yeah i like i've we've covered some really weird evil plans over weekly manga recap but it's weird how bizarrely sensible this was so yeah very good chapter absolutely all right nick let's move on to mashal magic and muscles chapter 102 mash burn dead his five siblings uh one of them's dead uh so we open with a character sitting on like a, a throne of corpses basically drinking a glass of elf blood who just says Mm, nothing like a glass of elf blood to take off the years. 
Um, and then someone comes up and they say this character's name. And the way it is done in English is it's too long to fit on a name, so it's hyphenated. Uh, but I obviously being like, you know, say it in one phrase as we find out later when you see his name. But I like to think that the hyphen is intentional. And this character's name is Master Deli Saster. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to call him from henceforward. So I just want everyone to know that. So Master Deli Saster is called to uh, go to the council, to, to like the Council of Siblings by Selwar, who's still alive and uh, basically reduced to like innocent zero peon who gets all the shitty jobs no one wants. Um, so Deli Saster is brought to this area. He is the fourth son of the family. He's very fancy and very evil. He's like, hey. Why are we even here? There's no reason to bicker or anything like that. Just add stress. And stress is bad for the skin. So I guess we get a little bit of this character's gimmick. He's all about youth and all that sort of stuff. Um, then we are introduced to the third son, Epidim, who looks very fancy. He also looks like he's 40 years older than the other siblings yeah. because of his haircut. And very harsh cheekbones. Yes. Like, they are incredibly emphasized and Selwar is shocked he's like when did he get here and uh we just see him say uh epidem say mm, pudding and he just goes fucking hog wild he's like pudding 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 this is my and i was like okay so mash isn't the only insane no. one in his family there's this guy too also i want to bring up it's almost like he's singing a song to himself but there are no music notes in his speech bubbles at all so he's basically going, puddin puddin here are my puddin putty putty puddin 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 forbidden love child of eggs and milk come into my arms my sweetest of sweets he's just shouting to his pudding as he eats it and for some reason he's like i he like shakes his head around before he actually eats it. Like, I don't know what he's doing. Like <laughs> blowing on it. looks like he's like, <sighs> like maybe eat top pudding. I don't know. Cell uh, is just like, cool. Anyway, I'm glad you're be here. So soon after <laughs> killing all the giants. And like, I hope we didn't interrupt you. And he's like, Oh, I finished that already. And then so yeah. like, but giants are built like fortresses. And he already disposed of them. And then Innocent Zero's like, I've been stabbed by a sword! But it was actually the second sibling who tricked him. The Famine is his name. And he's like, yes, that expression you made was delightful. If stabbing you with a fake sword is that much fun, I wonder how much joy stabbing you with a real sword would be. And uh, all of the siblings are like, what a weirdo. He's weird. Unlike us. <laughs> We're the normal ones. Uh, and then, of course, Master Doom shows up and is just like, hey, if you're playing... To, he chops uh, off Famine's arm, by the way. Yeah, uh, I have to assume that's not going to mean much in the, the long no. term. But uh, he cuts off his arm and he's like, I don't enjoy like pointless killing, so don't kill Cell War. If you're planning to upset me for your own entertainment, you'll suffer for it, brother or not. And like, oh, wow, he's he's very intimidating. Boom, and it's Zero shows up. He's like, hey, Domina's dead. Regardless, we're still going to uh, commence with the pan. We have the Wanda Beginnings right now. One month from now, the day of the solar clip is when everything's going to happen. But hey, Mashburn did his turned against us. So, you know, watch out. And like, is he really that tough? And it's like, 
Yes, but I think he's holding back without realizing it. And if he learns to free himself from his shackles, he could be much stronger. I'd like to fight him under better conditions. To see him at his best. Uh, they also note, you always get us worried for nothing. Yeah, you're overestimating the guy. Like, okay. I feel like Innocent Zero should be the one to be like, no, no, I can <laughs> I can follow that up. He's, he's stronger than you think, but he doesn't. He's basically just like, we had the wand of beginnings. Let's start me down the path of godhood. And that's kind of how the chapter ends is like a spell is cast and darkness kind of covers the, the table. This was possibly the most nothing chapter of Mashal we have ever read. We're just introduced to a handful of characters and I do like that one of them is just a complete weirdo. Like I was very thankful we had that because I was like, if they're all just try hard, like cool characters, I'm not going to like them. But I like that one of them is just a big dumb idiot who's just like, puddin', 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 puddin'. Like it's just that weird humor that Mashal does where I'm like, I don't know why I'm laughing. I guess I just am because it's so ridiculous. Right. Okay. The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 57, Takauji 1335. The assassination attempt is underway. Fubuki and uh, Kojiro are charging with their swords. And Tokyuki is firing arrow at point blank range. They're going to kill this guy. There's no way he can dodge all the attacks. He dodges all the attacks. Uh, he just uses the palms of his hands to just stop the two swords. And I thought at first he caught the arrow in his teeth. No, he catches it between his upper lip and his nose because, you know, you can do that with an arrow. Uh -huh. it, it, it won't just like keep on going. Uh, and his response is just, oh, that was that was close. And, and he just kind of like twitches. And even though he's gripping the sword with just his pinky finger, he twists Kodro all the way off of his horse and dangles him uh, in the air. Uh, Fubuki tries to attack with his other sword and he just flash steps away, completely vanishes, and then gets behind Tokiyuki on his perch and grabs his kind of mask thing and yanks it off. And he says, oh, are you their leader? And Tokiyuki immediately is like, oh, no, he's seen my face. He's going to recognize me. And Takauji just says, well, I suppose your father died in the fighting, so it's natural that you hold a grudge against me. But, you know, you shouldn't throw away your life. Now that I get a good look at you, you look like you're just 10 years old. And there's so much to enjoy in this world, so abandon your hatred and learn what the world has to offer. And Tokiyuki realizes, wait, you you don't remember me? And Takaji says, oh, have we met? Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I, I forget people so, so easily. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I just like to focus on the future, and I have I have such difficulty remembering the past to my retainers and all that stuff. And uh, so I'm sorry for offending you. And he like, he's clutching Tokiki's hand between his own and bowing between before him and stuff. And Takauji just, and Tokiki thinks I remember all of this, the, his voice, his face, even his touch, but he doesn't remember anything. So he rips himself away and he demands to know, why did you have to destroy Kamakura? And Takauji says, why? Even I don't really know. I mean, it's just kind of how we, how things turned out. And we get narration that indicates like, yeah, no one really knows why the Kamakura Shogunate fell. Uh, I mean, it had been weakening, but it was still stable when it suddenly collapsed. So scholars don't really see any clear reason why warriors across the land suddenly turned against them. And Takauji in the present has got this great moment of inspiration. He says, oh, hey, kid. Can you can you write verse? Can you play a flute? Can you dance? 
if you serve me, I'll see to your needs. So, you know, you could be my retainer and live a comfortable life by my side. And that would be very pleasing to your deceased family, I'm sure. That'd solve it. Lots of fine clothes, tasty sweets. Yeah. And we get narration to explain this, but it should be obvious enough that, you know, taking on the children of your uh, fallen foes was seen as a great insult. And Tokyuki looks angrier than he ever has before. And like Takaoji had given him a pine cone as like a little thing of like, oh, hey, you know, here's a little gift for you. You know, we can we'll be buddies now. And Tokyuki cracks it apart in his grip. Um, and he's like, we're going to fucking fight. So Takaoji's like, ah, right, right. You came to kill me. OK, I should I should honor that. Right. right. I, I guess I have to kill you. <laughs> that's the anyway, so, terrifying moment of just like holy shit like fucking 30 eye monsters like pie pouring out i'm like uh, oh my god no he turns into a horror manga page w- with a vaguely human body <laughs> and everyone is so taken aback by this that tokyuki is immediately shocked out of his rage and is just you know staring at him and Fubuki realizes I had no idea he was such a monster. He's evil, unaware of itself. Though he lives without malice, he drives people mad and takes their lives. So he rushes in to try and help. But even he is intimidated by the image that he sees, which is this like skeletal forearmed creature that also is a tunnel that is also a mouth. It looks really cool. <laughs> So Tokiyuki instead has to try and save Fubuki. He tackles him out of the way uh, and they fall off the roof together and they get caught by Genba and Kojiro and they're like, uh, run. So they get to their horses and they start riding off immediately. But Takaoji has immediately gotten to his horse and is pursuing after them. And uh, yeah, it, it, even though they're very skilled at fleeing, this guy is right on their tails. But just as it looks like they're in great trouble, Suddenly, Kusunoki's horse pulls up alongside Takauji, and he says, oh, where are you going? I, f- I prepared a feast for you. And that's where the chapter ends. Yeah. Uh, cool chapter. I mean, Taka uh, Ashikaga? Ashi, what's his name? Uh, Ashikaga. Ashikaga. Very cool. Like, just a good antagonist where you're like, oh, man, this guy's annoying. Oh, he's so aloof. Oh, he's so silly. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's like on a dime. Just like, oh, no. Oh, no. Run. Run, children. Run from this person. Uh, yeah, I do really like the idea of that kind of ties it all together, with it, which is the description of he doesn't know how horribly evil he is. He's just kind of exists and is just horrifying. So. Yeah, he's more monster than man. So. All right, Nick, let's move on to Black Clover, page 328. Always. Always. So we open. Always. Always. We're still in the fight. Ast only has, like, what, five seconds left of Devil Union, so he has to go. We get a flashback. I forget what I've called her now for the third time, so we're going to call her Schmiggity Schmig Bedouble. Um, so SSP, as we're calling her. Uh, it's like, yeah, I had a kid. He was a little boy. When he was born, he was healthy, but I had to give him up. I'm a failure as a mother. But 
I can't stay with him. I can't hug him. I'll never see him again. Tomorrow or the day after, though. Always, always, always. I'll always love him. And we get like a half a full page spread of her, just her expression as he says that. Asta is going. Uh, Lucifero is just like, you're that blasted, worthless woman. The one who got in my way. She's your to, I guess, if there was like one person in the audience at this point who wasn't like, yeah, yeah. Asta's mom. <laughs> like, Kind of reiterating that. Asta swings her sword. Cuts off one of Lucifero's horns. Uh, Again. Yeah. He's cut through those horns so many times. <laughs> Lucifero goes to punch him. Asta does like another cool swing move and cuts off his arm. Then he goes and he just keeps cutting off more arms. And then we get basically like a one and a half page spread as Asta says, you're the one who's useless or worthless and strikes him, which then cuts like the next page turn is into a full two page spread where he just severs Lucifero in half, just fucking bisects him from like shoulder to abdomen. And we just see like the big strike happen. And then Lucifero's body is stuck on the ground. It's just like his torso and his head lower down as Asta and uh, Sabretooth say, you just stay there and grovel because we're going to live and be happy. The greatest vengeance that you can accomplish is living a happy life. Yep. So, yeah. Hey, they won. Yeah, seemingly, some, some... seemingly they've won. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some cool visuals to finish up the fight. I love the very visceral nature. No, he just cuts him into bleeding chunks. <laughs> He's done. He's, yeah. I also really like that, you know, when we see Lucifero strike a, a punch that right to Asta's gut, and it just doesn't work, and he chops his hand off, and that's just it. So, yeah. Um, I feel as though this would be kind of a moment that you would want to see, like, like animated so you can have it paced out in the appropriate give deliver it to you with the right tempo and then stuff because it's a little bit weird it's like hey let's revisit you know the thing that we established before with 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 the, the mom and everything um but it's good still so yeah it's a great Yay. sentiment and i think the the moment that'll probably stick with me for at least a little bit is that one and a half page spread that then turns into a two-page spread. It's just, like, just a great moment to like really drive home that final blow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that better be the end of the fight, because like, I don't know what the hell else could happen. Devil Union's done. They've done all the sentiments they can. I know there are still cliffhangers. Like They haven't really right. addressed that fourth brother or whatever. Oh, well, uh, there is also the, the other devil that's just hanging out watching this. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, let's finish things off with One Piece. Ba -da chapter. Da -da 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 -da. All our friends are here. 1044. 45, sorry. Next level. Uh, so Kaido uh, has witnessed oh, the... Before we start this, I guess, um, I'll, it's public domain, I think, at this point. I'm just going to start doing the Benny Hill theme music. Kaido has witnessed the return of Luffy in Looney Tunes form. 
Uh, and Kaido's like, I thought you were dead. And then he says, oh, I thought so, too. <laughs> but he's just bouncing up and down on the freshly rubberized ground. And Kaido says, well, I, I guess you've awakened your paramecia powers. But something doesn't add up. Body transformations like that are the trademark of Zoan powers. Uh, he doesn't really seem to really care about this too much. <laughs> but uh, he doesn't have time to think about it anyway, because Kaido just goes, Aah! and um, swallows him. And so, or rather, he chomps down on Luffy, and Luffy rebuffs this by forcing himself to be swallowed. And he causes things to happen inside Kaido's body by banging around in there and then turning into a balloon, which causes Kaido to forcefully float up into the air where Yamato and Momonosuke are just like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> um, but uh, Kaido's like, wait, but, but my body isn't made of rubber. <laughs> and then Luffy still inside of Kaido says, oh, I see two lights and reaches his hands through Kaido's eyes and grabs it's, his snout. It's the weirdest. Like it really shows just how crazy broken what Luffy's powers can be now. It's just like if a cartoon could do what he could do. Like he's it, a step yes. away from just like painting a tunnel on the side of Onigashima and Kaido running into it. Be like, oh, I'm dying. <laughs> so Luffy launches himself out of Kaido's stomach, then blows himself up so that he deflates up into the clouds and then turns into a giant just cause and proceeds to try and stomp on Kaido. Kaido, however, is a clever serpenty dragon guy. Uh, and so he twists around, bites uh, Luffy around the waist. And Luffy's like, all right, fine. Grabs him and starts jump roping him. Which, by the way, all these are gum gum techniques that he's just making up on the fly. Gum gum giant, gum gum jump rope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he gets blast breathed, breath, blast breathed at point blank range. <laughs> uh, and it's a really, really powerful blast this time. It lodges him into the sky. And, uh, of course, he's covered in soot because that's what happens when an explosion goes off in your face in cartoon land. But, oh, no, he's flying through the air and he's going to fall off the side of Onigashima. So he better run really fast. So he launches it, I don't know why. He's done so many cartoon things. But this was the moment where I was like, OK, so it's just full on cartoon fire because I can hear the sound effect in my head like the <laughs> like, yeah, like him fucking running in place and speeding over I straight up wily coyote shit. If in two years, if we don't get just like the full like old school Looney Tunes folio for this, then like you're doing it wrong. Like you have to do all the stupid stuff. Yeah. From. Oh, he, ha he has to. He has to do this a couple of things. He has to give uh, an antagonist a stick of dynamite and say, here, hold <laughs> this. And they're like, oh, OK. And then they're like, wait a minute. Then it explodes. Uh, he also has to cross dress and pose as like a sexy version of whatever they are and then they are enchanted and then he like hits them with like uh, the anvil over the head or something like that and then of course he has to do a rabbit season duck season thing it just has to happen <laughs> kaido season luffy season <laughs> <laughs> 
so so it is at this moment that then we learn that the cartoonishness of Luffy's Gear 5 doesn't just apply to himself and whoever he's fighting. It is literally anyone who bears witness to him because he comes charging towards Kaido, swinging his fist, he's going to punch him. And Kaido counters with a Ragnaraku. And so Luffy's face gets smashed down through the roof of Onigashima while his eyes bug out and he goes, Ow! And a bunch of people witness this. And we see Law and Kid and Chopper and Nami and Otama all go, and their eyes bug out. And then Luffy's face goes back yeah, up. Yeah, they get shoved back up. That's the moment I'm actually looking to see, like, looking forward to see animated because it's a very, like, it's a, a panel joke that doesn't, like, the pacing isn't great in the manga, but in, like, an animated form, I feel like you can absolutely nail just how ridiculous it is, the giant face coming through and then just being sucked up and everyone will be like, what the fuck just happened? Like, you know, <laughs> everyone's like, what is happening up there? <laughs> Kaido says it's like something from a comic strip, which seems to indicate that he is very much aware of what comic strips are. Uh, Do you think that Kaido hates Mondays? Do you think that he wants to know what? Do you think that he knows that Marmaduke is too big? Like, what is going on with this? (laughs) That's a good question. What comic strips is Kaido a big fan of? Now, let's let's knock off the easy ones. Hagar the Horrible, obviously. Ah, good one. Um, I feel like he would be. He wouldn't enjoy Calvin and Hobbes. It's too too thinky for him. Same with Farside. Not a Farside fan. I think he would like Garfield. He would appreciate. He's like, I adore this cat and his grumpy demeanor. I also dislike normals. <laughs> Just normals <laughs> in general. Yeah. Um, does he like Foxtrot? Foxtrot, I think, is is too much geeky shit. I feel like uh, he finds Yamato's collection of, of Foxtrot stuff, and he's like, no, you need to be studying Hagar. Yeah. He's like, this is Beetle Bailey. <laughs> oh, my God. Traditionalism. Family circus. This is what humor's about. <laughs> <laughs> Look, follow the dotted line. <laughs> oh, my God. Kathy's saying, ugh, another diet. She's upset about her diet. This is the peak of humor. Dilbert, no matter how many days he goes to work, his tie is always not straight. Just like life, we all long to die like Dilbert. It's like, you have a different read of Dilbert than I Yes, none of them will ever have value until they die. That is what this comic says. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Come again. And Scott Adams somewhere is like, yeah, he gets it. Yeah, the horrible dictator gets it. <laughs> anyway, Luffy uh, has been taking a beating, and so he kind of collapses on the ground, uh, tired. And Kaido's like, oh, you've reached your limit, haven't you? You cannot defeat me. And Luffy goes, shut up. Who says I'm at my limit? And immediately the white color fades from his hair. And when it turns to black and the pace power is gone, he just goes full like old man shriveled. Yeah, I'm all tuckered out. Uh, and uh, so Kaido takes a bit of a knee because he's tired too. And Luffy says, oh yeah, I was dying before this. And wow, this takes a lot of energy. So Kaido says... Or starts to say, 
You have my assurances. After you die, someone will tell the tale of your great battle. I don't need any of that. And Luffy says, once we're dead, the only thing that's left is bones. He starts laughing again. Uh, Yamato and Momonosuke realize that really is Luffy. It just didn't look like him. Momonosuke is worried because his voice is nearly dying out. But Luffy pushes himself to his feet again. He's assuming gear two pose as he does so. Uh, And he says, this can't end yet. Momo, Tama, Kinemon, Pedro. Because he remembers Pedro. Good for him. Uh, Kaido starts laughing and mocking Luffy as the color of Gear 5 returns to him and says, careful or you'll die. But Luffy says, you think I'm afraid of that? Come on, heart, hit that beat. And we get the sound of drums again as his heart apparently starts beating rhythmically, which makes sense because he is a cartoon. Yes. So he goes charging in. And he's once again happy and enthusiastic while Kaido tries to attack him. But as Kaido swings his club, uh, no, wait, it, it, it hits Luffy right in the back of the fucking head. <laughs> Smashes his face forward into a backwards arc. Kaido goes to hit him again. Um, and as he strikes the ground, it launches Luffy up into the air and he goes spinning. But then he spins right into a mountain and it squishes him into an accordion shape and as he counts down to zero he flies through the air like a gyroscopic rocket and kaido says is trying to figure out how the hell this is happening and he says what does this mean he turns all white he uses the colors of armament and the supreme king and can transfer his powers to other things i've never seen such free wheeling combat before but he swings his club towards Luffy while proclaiming, there is no one in this world who can defeat me. And Luffy's (laughs) fist goes through his skull and just comes out the other side. And of course, Yamato and Momonosuke are completely shocked. And we get a good look at, yeah, his fist just went into and squished in Kaido's eyes and just came out the other side because Luffy's a cartoon now. And Kaido collapses to the ground while Luffy says with a big old grin on his face, isn't this fun? (laughs) It is pretty fun. (laughs) It is very fun. Yeah. So that's the series for this week, I guess. I'll be honest. This was a tough week to pick a series and and MVP because basically every chapter, aside from like Doron Doron and Eden Zero were like really really good um maybe i guess mashable you can add into like that was fine um but like everything else was like really solid so it's kind of tough to pick like an mvp and, and chapter of the week um i did finally I, I i know my mvp and i think i know my my chapter of the week. I, I think my chapter of the week is going to be spy family um if only because the moment where that bomb hits the town was a moment where as a reader I was like holy shit and I was like alright if a manga can provoke that kind of reaction out of me it's kind of gotta be the one that I had the biggest reaction to that week you know I get you completely I am going to go for One Piece this week 
this was, I think, the chapter that really got me with the, you know, Luffy's weird new powers thing, as opposed to last week that was just kind of introducing it and the pacing wasn't as dedicated to it. Um, my MVP for the week is going to be Takauji, uh, because I think that this was a chapter that really finally pushed home. Like, no, this is why and how terrifying this villain is uh, all in just a few moments. I love just how uh, innocent he seems when he's speaking with Tokiyuki. And then he doesn't even like get angry. He's just like, oh, well, I have to kill you now. And then because of that, because he's going to try and do it, the monster comes out and everyone can see it because it's so obvious. It, even though Takaoji is still just kind of like, doo, 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 and that's just it. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Another great uh, MVP candidate. I am going to give mine, however, to Maloli from PPPPPPPP, uh, who was a character who, if you asked me last week, I'd have been like, I don't know, I guess she's a character my men likes a lot. Uh, but seeing her this week get like a full character like introduction, not introduction, but like reorienting. And you're like, oh, she's fucking evil. Like, yeah, it's just I don't know, man. It was a very well executed way of suddenly making me care about this character. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, the audience... There's like eight series, by the way, that I would if you told me like, oh, this is my favorite this week. I would totally understand why. Yeah, like I, <laughs> so. I, I legitimately I was like, oh, uh, probably that Undead Unluck. I really love the Peter Pan motif. If nothing else, I'll give it to Lucy. Character of the week. Definitely. I was like, Reno, I think super cool character. And, and, and Kaiju number eight. Absolutely. Very, very awesome. You know, uh, Akane Banashi. Fantastic chapter. Great art. You know, Akane herself looked great. It, like this week was stacked. Really, really stacked. Good stuff. Uh, the audience, by the way, uh, votes were all over the place. So the audience picked Spy Family as the chapter of the week, and the tie for character of the week is Loli from PPPPP. P. PP. Yes, you got it. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and Luffy from One Piece. P. 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 Yeah, good stuff. All right, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. We can only hope that next week's chapters are just as amazing, honestly. Uh, that is going to do it for the show, guys. Thank you for joining us here on twitch.tv slash for the live recording. We go live on Wednesdays, usually around 7.30-ish Eastern time, but stay updated on exactly when the show is beginning. You can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash RelloT, twitter.com slash Nick of time. I nearly said my old handle for some reason. And uh, I do that sometimes. I, if I tag you in something, I'm always like, at why? I was like, where the hell's Nick? Where is like, he? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At the Memorial Podcast is the podcast account. So follow those so you can find out exactly when we are going to start recording the show and when uh, all the different recordings and stuff go live each week as well because they get uploaded to YouTube in video form as well as to Podbean, uh, weeklymarkerecap.podbean.com. And uh, if that doesn't really suit your fancy, you can also generally listen to the show wherever podcasts can be listened to, including iTunes and Spotify. Uh, we also want to thank everyone who helps make the show what it is. Our wonderful Discord community, of course, who, of course, helped provide the uh, riddles and the and everything for for this week. Ninja X3I also posts uh, updates and polls uh, for the community on uh, 
best moments of different categories and stuff and then keeps track of them all in the Google Doc that has lots of great information about the series, including where you can make recommendations for future series for us to talk about, like D. Gray Man, which we are still working through because Jesus, uh, <laughs> I forgot how long Shonen series are. Uh, <laughs> uh, we also want to thank uh, Milo Jack Stilitz and Winsleydale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of the video version of Weekly Manga Recap, as well as our occasional tile cardist, Steve Mann. You can check out his work at twitter.com slash art and generally anywhere boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. Yes. It's going to be excellent yeah. stuff, and I, I, I would say stay tuned, guys. We're going to have some good fun next week. Yeah. Or we won't. Maybe every joke is maybe a stinker we'll be, next week. Maybe we'll be miserable and awkward. You never know. If if that strikes your fancy, though, tune in next week and you just might be pleasantly bored. That could be a thing, though. We're not kidding. That could be. You. You're like, oh. that's the new cuck holding, just being bored. <laughs> um. Yeah, it could be. I mean, if I, psychologists... you're telling me if I go to DeviantArt right now and I type, I type hashtag board, hashtag uh, pornography, I don't, I don't know the hashtags work exactly. If I type that in, I'm not going to get a good result. I mean, it's, I mean one of them is going to be Sonic being pregnant, but another one is going to be something else. Well, I mean, some people have great control over the physiological responses that their body has, so they don't actually need particular things. Oh, no, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm, oh no, I'm being someone's kink by being really boring. Hang on. Um, Twizzlers. Um, you I don't know. Uh, candy? That's the hottest fetish there is. No! <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>